Every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you. But this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lie on the floor flopping around like a, <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, <laughs> if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever, whatever he's, like if you think that way and you're just trying to use people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Yeah. Pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That, that makes sense. Watch <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew in the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. As soon as you start telling stories and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. Now, today we are talking about frustration. And this comes from just seeing various things online and people talking about their experiences of navigating this industry early on particularly. This is very common. So I wanted to address this subject. And there's not a lot of discussion, particularly in a public forum, about this because it can be seen as something that is detrimental to your career to reveal that you have frustrations or you're struggling through things. So I wanted to get this out in the open a little bit. We have four amazing guests today. My good friend, Karen Guilfrey, who is a extremely successful voice actor, and uh, we talked to her about her experiences of navigating this industry over the past 10 plus years. We also have Erica Jay, who is an amazing talent. She's been going about five years now, and she's really having a moment, as they say. And then we've also got two people, Marco and Merrill, who are early in their voiceover career. Merrill has been in radio for a long time, but that doesn't really prepare you all that well for voiceover. So it's almost like she's starting a new career. And both of them are very frank about their experiences of frustration in the industry and something that they're going through now, you know. So I thought that was really important to get their perspective here. And I want to thank Meryl and Marco and everyone actually that submitted to be a part of this episode. It was a bit of an agonizing decision trying to choose who to bring in because everyone had such amazing stories and experiences. But I think between the people that we have on the show today, we're covering quite a broad range. You know, you don't cover everyone, of course, that's not possible, but I wanted to get a, a variation of perspectives on this. So anyway, that's enough of my waffling. We have a lot to talk about and it's quite a long episode again this week. So let's have a quick ad and get straight to it. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. 
Okay, so today we are joined by four lovely people, and we're talking about frustration. And I'm going to go around the room, metaphorical room, and have everyone introduce themselves, and then we'll get stuck in. So, uh, first person on my screen is Marco. Marco, say hello. Hello, hello. My name is Marco Camarota. Um, I am a person in a place. No, I'm just, uh, uh, <laughs> I've been a voice actor for two years. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been quite the journey. I sort of just dove in and did the thing and I, I sang my last opera gig in 2019 and in November and then immediately after I had had some coaching and I just picked up the phone and started cold calling people um, with limited training. Uh, so it's been a fly, fly by the seat of my pants kind of experience. But yeah, that's who I am. Love it. Okay, Meryl. Hi, I'm Meryl Goldsmith I'm from the North Shore of Massachusetts. And um, I actually have a pretty convoluted career in voiceover. Um, I have been a radio announcer my entire professional career. So that's over 30 years. So every radio announcer is responsible for recording commercials as part of their job as being a radio announcer. So do I say that I've been in the voiceover business for over 30 years, but really just more strategically um, doing this full-time since I lost my last radio job, which was at the end of 2019. So there's no more radio work out there, basically. So it's hard for me to say because I've been doing it for a very long time, but it's been part of my job as opposed to my job. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Erica. Hi, I'm Erica J. Um, I've been in VO, gosh, I guess five years now. Originally started in music also a technical product manager, so I do lots of things. Um, I was gigging in bands and writing my own music and putting all that out, and it was, God, that was a hustle. And I was looking for a way, my kids were young at the time, to uh, supplement my music expenses without having to be away so much and doing the whole weekend grind um, with gigs. So that's how I got into voiceover. And man, like like Marco said, it was very little to no acting training. So I uh, had to learn that it wasn't just being able to record my voice. And it's been quite the journey over these five years, really seen some success since the pandemic. So yeah, yeah, you're killing it. Karen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Karen Gilfrey. I am uh, also a voice actor. We're all voice actors <laughs> No shit. <laughs> um, but but uh, like Marco, I was an opera singer, and opera was just not ticking all the boxes for me. I was not working as much as I wanted to, and so I, I had to find a way to... I was also living in Europe at the time, and so I had to find a way to work in the United States without physically being in the United States. I had a friend who was a singer who was also narrating audiobooks, and I thought, ooh, that would be cool. So I took a bunch of classes, I set up a home studio, and I jumped into the audiobook world. I did that for two or three years, and then I got into other kinds of voiceover. Now I do mostly commercials and non-broadcast work, and I absolutely love it. And Jamie and I also run a conference together. Oh, yes, we always have to get that in. Yeah, we run a vacation <laughs> if anyone wants to know. <laughs> um, so I should probably explain the structure of today's episode. I wanted to do an episode on, very broadly speaking, frustration, because it is something that every voice actor experiences at one point or two in their career, or possibly a lot more than that. And Marco and Meryl were very, very generous and uh, brave in offering their perspectives whilst in the midst of some level of frustration. I don't want to speak for them. I'm going to have them answer this question themselves. 
Erica is in a really amazing position. She's five years in and she's really kicking off and blowing up right now. And, you know, she's doing amazingly well. And Karen and I have been this, doing this for, for a while now. So I think between us, we're covering a m- multiple different stages of the career trajectory. So Marco and Meryl, I want to first ask, why did you want to partake in this episode? What was it that motivated you to want to, to join us today? And Meryl, why don't you kick off? Well, thank you, Jamie. Something about your post uh, in the uh, Facebook group just really hit me. And I really try to be a very positive person because I think, you know, the energy that you give is the energy that you get and to not show that frustration. But I think that I saw your post and I was feeling very frustrated and that's why I said something. And then sometimes when I do that, I'm like, oh, why did I say something? <laughs> but And then you reached back and I'm like, wow, that meant a lot to me because I've spent a fortune putting my, you know, going from radio to voiceover, which if you think a bit about it from the outside, doesn't seem like it would be much different, but it, you know, totally is. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been a, a, a roller coaster the past couple of years and, um, I hope I made the right decision. I'm honestly not 100% sure that I did. Karen, like you, I have tried um, audiobooks and I actually completed one. I took, um, you know, a couple of courses and thought it would be great because I'm in a book club. Oh, gee, if I love reading books, I like reading them. Mm. Um, It was probably the worst experience of my life, (laughs) completing that (laughs) audiobook. Um, I love reading commercials and I've just been really banging my head against this, you know, studio soft walls for quite some time. I've landed some really big jobs, but it's just not consistent. And I am at this point where, you know, when you feel that anxiety building up in you, and I don't think that that helps your performance. So, um, I hope I've answered the question that, that, that you're asking, Jamie. That's a great description of where you're at. And I want to speak to Marco and just find out where he's at too. And then we can sort of dive into some of the themes you talked about and sort of touched upon there. So Marco, what is your situation right now? And why did you want to be part of this podcast? Um, so I uh, am really a huge proponent of authenticity. Um, mm. And I uh, have always advocated for myself and for others to be as as available as possible, especially in social media, for instance, where there's a tendency to to share a highlight reel and, and I, I buck away from that a bit. And so when I saw the opportunity to be on here, you know, I've basically been a voice actor for three years where the first year was gathering information. And the truth is, is that there is so much misinformation and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of these get rich quick things. And I was no stranger to the idea that, Oh, I'm going to build a booth and I'm going to get into the, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to, I'm going to start popping off 6k figures and I'm going to be rich. (laughs) And, um, that's simply not true. Now, you know, I'm in a unique position because, you know, I have the opera thing. I I speak Italian and, you know, and my reads are generally okay. So like I have been able to cross the threshold into like five figures, um, which was a goal of mine. And I 20 times my income from my first year, but like my first year I made $1,200. And, and if I was like, if I had this dream of, of making five figures, even a year, two years ago, I I probably wouldn't have sustained it. And, um, so it's, it's, 
what I love about voiceover and, and what is also difficult is that it, there is an abundance of opportunity, but there's not enough um, true guidance without having to pay exorbitant amounts of money from that, for that information to get where you need to go. So that's really, I would say, my biggest frustration. And the reason why I wanted to come on is because I want to present like this is the truth of zero to three years or even beyond that of the difficulty and challenges of of building a, a sustainable business. Yeah. For anyone listening who's in their first one to three years, that Marco's story is so, so typical. Um, yeah. It is. It is. That is the most common story is that you get into voiceover, you think you're going to earn a lot of money and you end up not making a lot of money in your first one to three years. And this is actually something that we found in our voiceover survey. The people who self-identified as beginner, which 90% of those people have under uh, five years of experience, 94% of those people earn less than $8,000 from voiceover. So if you have under five years of experience, likely you're earning under $8,000 per year in voiceover. It's just so common. And I and I hope that instead of discouraging people, that information makes them feel like they're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> because it's because it's just so it, it that's just how it works. It, that that's how it worked for me too. In my first few years I made like zero money and it was really hard. But you do it because you love the job, you know that you can grow your business and you just keep going because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um Erica, you your whole career in voiceover to this point has been five years, right? So yeah. everything's happened within the last five years. So I, what has your journey been like? And detail a little bit the process yeah. you went through to get to get here. Yeah, absolutely. So much like um, has been described by Marco and Meryl and Karen, um, the first three years were a little rough. Um, I had like, you know, I would have peaks and then nothing for months. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I booked this and I got this, you know, thousand dollar job. Nothing. You know, and that was super frustrating, um, you know, as I was still working corporate career um, and trying to grow my creative career and to sort of have the validation and then nothing was was super frustrating. And as Meryl said, you know, this is a high investment industry. I was fortunate enough that because I was recording my own music, I already had some recording gear, but learned that voiceover is really creme de la creme of audio. <laughs> and, um, you know, there there were different investments that I had to make in the learning curve and having to um, even find my tribe. Um, what was frustrating was that I wasn't understanding why I wasn't booking. And it was about three, three and a half years in when I started finding the voiceover community. So for the first three years, I was strictly P2P and flying blind on my own. Mm. Um, so I didn't even meet a lot of you beautiful people until like the past <laughs> 18 to 24 months. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a studio that my friend recommended me to to do a demo. Um, I, they said copy and I didn't know what it meant. I mean, that's how green I was. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, that was probably the biggest frustration is that I didn't know what I was doing. Then it seemed like maybe I do know what I'm doing. And now, obviously, I don't because I'm not booking anymore. Um, yeah. And do you think that your expectation for what this career was going to be like didn't meet the reality? Do you think that is what caused some frustration at, at first? You had this sort of preconceived idea of what it was going to be like? 
You know, what's funny was maybe that was a little bit of a saving grace was because I was so green. I also did not know about the whole make six figures in, you know, six weeks. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. So I didn't have yeah, those you dodged expectations. A <laughs> I did. I did. For sure. Very thankful. Um, so I don't know that I came in with any expectations, but um, any of you that know me, I'm super ambitious. Um, so it was more sort of my own, you know, like what the fuck is happening? You know, why Why am I not booking? Um, so that was sort of my own self-induced frustration. But as I started to meet more people and see what they were doing, I was like, oh, that's why. And now I listen to audio that I did in my first year. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can I redo that for you? For <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we've all got, yeah, we've all got those. <laughs> and do you know what the so most frustrating true. thing is? Usually those are the biggest gigs that, that keep coming back and appearing on your radar over and over again. You're like, oh, why did I do that? Um, Meryl, you were nodding your head when Erica was speaking there. You know what? I love I love what you said, Erica, but I came at it from this, oh my God, I had this like huge radio career. Like I'm talking major market, Boston. Last job was morning show in Boston. My second or third third Boston job, also Pittsburgh, Hartford, Savannah, you know, just a very successful radio career, you know, always being in management at the radio station. And I thought I have all these media connections. I have, you know, I know all these people. I mean, this guy, Chad Erickson, I don't know if you know Chad, but you know, if you watch CBS TV, you're going to hear him on promos for everything. Well, he's a friend of mine. I mean, I've known him for, I don't know, over 20 years or whatever. He produced my demo and I thought this is going to be just, you know, so seamless. I mean, I'm not talking about not having to do work and network, but I just felt that because coming from that arena and knowing all these media people that this was going to be so seamless so, boy, was I just taken out at the knees. I'm. It, it was absolutely nothing like that. And I think one thing that I guess I'm going to say hurt my feelings a little bit is, you know, Chad saying, I got to beat that radio out of you, girl. <laughs> and that hurt in the sense that I have a degree in broadcast communications. I started at the college radio station um, while I was home. A million years ago on winter break, I landed my first radio job. I've done really well in the radio business. And I'm like, why do you want to beat something out of me that has been that is so important to me? And if somebody called me like when we're done with this podcast, I would go do that job. That's how passionately mm -hmm. I feel about it. The reality is that there are no jobs out there. And, and then you have one talent voicing 10 markets. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like you, one person does all the iHeart CHR and one does all the adult contemporary. And I don't want to make this about radio, but I wish that I had just jumped in not knowing anything because this has been such a blow to be struggling with the success of this. And I have landed a couple of uh, really good paying jobs, but I would say that probably as you were talking about the $8,000 thing, Karn, you know, kind of like adding, I'm like, yeah, that's probably, that's probably what I made this year around that, you know, just kind of adding these few jobs together. That's pathetic. It's unlivable. Thank God for my husband or I'd be, you know, homeless. But it's not pathetic because what you're doing is really, really, really brave to leave an industry that you had so much success in that 
was so much a part of your heart and to jump into something that seems related, but is actually a completely different industry. And in fact, it's actually a combination of like 10 different industries where we all kind of do the same thing in each of those industries. Yeah, That is so brave. And every person who does that especially without like a huge safety net, should be commended and given big hugs and told, yes, go out and and do more and get it. You can do it. I can hear just from your voice that you have a beautiful, marketable voice. And the only reason why you made $8,000 this year is because this is a business and the way that all of us who earn a living you know, make our living is from repeat clients that we've built up over five to 10 years. Yes, That's really yeah. the only way. If I only counted the income from new work that I got this year, it would be like 10% of what I earned this year. Because my income comes from people coming back to me going, hey, can you do a pickup for this that we just did two months ago? Oh, we have some new spots for this. Can you do this now? Oh, uh, we had you do this project two years ago and now we're updating it. Can you do the whole thing again? And that's like 90% of my income, even through my agents. So you are exactly where you need to be and you are brave and awesome and don't ever feel pathetic because you're absolutely not. Everyone else is in the same boat. And that's why this episode is so great. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Thank you, and Connor. I mean, that's like from yeah. a business perspective at all. You know, you hear that most businesses fail within the first three years or because that's because the first three years are the hardest. <laughs> like that's when you're not making any money, but you're making all these investments. And like Karin said, you know, you're jumping into something and realizing that there's this learning curve. And it, it's just that that's really how it goes. And it's part of the building. You are sowing the seeds and you can't harvest while you're sowing and, mm-hmm. and watering those seeds. So stay at it. And the yeah. beating the beating the radio thing out of you. I think Marco and I have experienced that coming mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. opera world, too, or any stage performer. Right. You you yes. get a piece of you get a script and you're like. And now I'm going to read <laughs> yeah. for you the Shakespeare yeah. version of this yes. of this commercial. Enunciation. I can oh speak clearly, right? <laughs> and so Marco, Marco and I, as opera singers, have had to have that completely Lord. beat out of us as well. And that's hard, too, when, yeah. when that's yeah. so much a part of your identity and who you are and you really believe, like, diction is so important. Are you kidding me? How could diction not be important? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, no, just say, like, I got to go. And you're like, no, I'm. I have to go. No. I gotta go. Oh, oh no. okay. They're, they're like messing Hawk. up. Hawk. That Hawk. is yeah. so true. So, oh my gosh. The enunciation. Raise thing. your soft palate. No. Yeah. Well, you know, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because one of the one of my biggest frustrations, I would say, is that coming out of a of a burgeoning opera career, where you know, I sung with the New York Phil, I sung at Lincoln Center, I had a high power agent in the opera world, like I was doing the thing. Like I, you know, my last gig was in France, touring France for nine weeks and making my biggest paycheck in opera I'd ever made and the after 10 years so the idea of then pivoting and and ending up sounding like just another just another casual male uh what's it called a, a millennial millennial next door you know I, I I find that very frustrating because now I've learned that I have much more many more shades than that but it's taken a year and a half to like be like oh okay well I'm not just like your genuine guy next door I'm I'm whatever so I I agree that I think I think it's uh self-expectations are actually the worst part and if, if you give yourself grace and space then actually there's a lot of wiggle room and because voiceover is so abundant I, I I'm not afraid of like what's to come because I know that there is there is a sea of opportunity, but we just need to be realistic about 
how it is to find it and how it is to like get to it and who you have to connect with and network with to get it. Like voiceover requires a million different soft skills, you know, more than just being able to speak well. And that's, yeah. and that's in and of itself is a difficult thing to do anyway. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. And Meryl, real quick, following up on what you were just saying, I listened to your commercial demo and it's awesome, by the way. But regarding having the radio beaten out of you, I think, and I'll bring this up to Karen and Erica shortly, that it took me a while, and I'm still, I guess, figuring it out to a certain degree, and I don't think you ever, this ever really goes away, is figuring out who you are as a voice actor and just putting a rocket up its ass, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just turbocharging who you are as a talent. And when you're starting out in the one to three to five years, you're experimenting, you're trying and you're learning and you're growing and you're awkward and you're working your business aspects out. And it takes a while for you to just f-ing relax, you know, yes. and then deliver the best reads that you can in a way that is like, I don't give a damn what everyone else thinks. This I don't give really a damn what the specs say most of the time. Mm-hmm. And having that freedom to be yourself And even if that part of you is your passion for radio and telling a story or whatever it is, that is part of who you are and that's what makes you unique and how you can then market that and reach the clients that want to hire you. So, Erica, at what point did you find your own voice? Ooh, (laughs) like a year ago. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? And I'm I'm literally like my five-year anniversary was last month. I started in September of 2016, and I would say about a year ago, maybe 14 months. It takes time. And yeah, you mentioned the anxiety, Meryl, and that coming through your voice. Absolutely. I still remember I did a couple sessions with Dave Fennoy, and he said, you know, free yourself from the tyranny of punctuation. And I'm like, what do you mean? My grandma and my mom, like, beat it into me that I must speak like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm a performer. Start classically trained in opera and singing on stage. You must do diction or you will not know what I'm saying when I sing. So... Like, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? But um, yeah, I had to relax. I had to, it's a self-discovery process and really learning yourself and being okay with yourself. So that, and you really learning that it ha- doesn't really have shit to do with your voice. It's more about who mm. you are and being comfortable and confident in who you are and using that to communicate a message for someone else um, with that human emotion. That was hard. Yeah. Karen? Yeah, I'm dancing in agreement over here. Yes, that's right. Um, For me, you know, I used to just audition for everything. It didn't matter if it said 18 to 25 or, you know, 50 plus or whatever. And I'm over here like 30, Um, (laughs) 30 something now. Um, (laughs) I just auditioned for everything until I realized, like, you know, there are other people who do 18 to 25 so much better than I do. And the the client is just going to listen to this audition and go, nope, thank you. And if it's like a f- five minute audition or something, what did I waste my time just doing? <laughs> because I know that I'm not right for this. And so I pass on so many more auditions now than I did before. But then again, when I was starting, I auditioned for things that were like totally off the wall. And some of them I booked because it was they were just so off the wall. I just didn't care and was just being silly and being myself. So But I think knowing who you are and just kind of, for me, doing a ton of auditions has helped free me so much because I don't put huge weight and expectations on any one of them. I'm just doing one after the other, after the other, after the other, giving it my take. If they like it, great. If they want somebody else, that's fine too. There are 10 more auditions that I have to do before the end of the day. So for me, that's extremely freeing and that has really helped me 
find my voice. Yeah, it can be a vicious cycle. The less you book, the more pressure you put on yourself, which means your performance mm-hmm. suffers and then you're less likely to book, you know. So yeah. Yeah. Um, is that a cycle that you recognize, Marilyn Marco? Oh, one million thousand percent. I mean, I think my biggest frustration is just the lack of of uh, of auditions. You know, I mean, I can, I can, you know, I'm on, I'm on some of the pay to plays and it's fine, but you know, I do those and it's like, okay, cool. This is corporate. So I know what the corporate sound is. But then when it comes to getting commercials, it's like, if you're only getting two to three commercial auditions a week, really like I would want double that. So I could just get in there and pop it off and, you know, just practice really. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. And I'll, I'll, I'll sit on YouTube and watch the pre-roll and I'm like, why didn't I get that? You know, like, where was that? You know what I mean? And, and I think that that for me is a huge frustration because we know that volume equals more opportunity. And there's a sense of like, well, I guess I'll just go find it myself. But I don't really know. People are annoyed by that now, too. So, you know, I guess I'll just, well, I guess I'll just sit here and, uh, and uh, analysis paralysis. For, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's so, yes, for me, it's, I find that majorly frustrating. Yeah. Meryl, you're nodding your head. Absolutely. Um, I'm on um, two pay-to-plays, and I really look at those as uh, warming up the vocal cords every day. I have zero expectations. However, um, through one of them, I did land a repeat customer who actually found me there. I auditioned, and then they you know, sent me an email, um, hey, do, can, can we work off this platform, which probably isn't cool for the platform because they you know, get a cut. And uh, it was for an e-learning project that I just did oh, maybe about a month ago or something like that. I have probably in this year alone have probably submitted a thousand auditions between the platforms. My auditions, I get so many like favorites or likes. So however, you know, they do it. And it's just such few bookings. And believe it or not, one of my repeat customers is on a platform that I totally disagree with, and that's Fiverr. Like, I I think it is like an industry soul crusher, but everybody's Mm. on it. Mm -hmm. And so that's somebody that um, keeps coming back to me. I mean, they're, you know, $50 jobs. So I just do it because the guy keeps coming back and, you know, can you fix this? Can you redo that? We changed the price, you know something like that. But I have um, a part of me dies a little bit every time because I think when you are, when there's so many people out there giving it away, it hurts everybody. And if everybody would just recognize that this is a job and a career and a profession instead of just giving it away. But I also think the problem is a little bit that, you know, we have these killer studios, I have a thousand dollar microphone sitting behind me that. Joe Public doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And so they're going with either quantity and price and the quality is like you that you just submitted a killer audition and they don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely recognize that. How much are you, you said you did a thousand auditions and you're getting likes and things like that, right? Are yeah, you lots- keeping... Are you keeping track of the likes and the feedback to kind of gauge what the market thinks of you and where your strengths lie? Um, there really isn't any feedback given. It's just that you, when you log into your account, you see if somebody favorited your audition or liked your audition. And to me, that's the feedback. Well, I must have you know, gotten close to what they were looking for because some of the platforms actually tell you how many people you've auditioned, you know, with. 
broadly speaking, you can see what kinds of auditions you put out and what kinds of traction right. you get, right? Is that something you're keeping track of? Because that is one of the things that the valuable things in the first thousand auditions that you're putting out there that you can at least glean something from. So you know where to focus your training, where to focus your marketing. Like, oh, I always get likes for e-learning projects. Yes. Maybe yeah. I should focus more on e-learning, yeah. right? So, Karn, when you were talking about that earlier, that, you know, you, you're you just going to, like, throw something against the wall and, you know, maybe it'll stick on some of the auditions, but that you've figured out, you know, this is the one that I'm going to be more sure of getting or have a better chance of getting. I would say, honestly, I'm still figuring that out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I seem to be getting jobs that are for a very wide range of ages. It's mm-hmm. very, very strange. Like I can hear that in your voice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm having a little hard time with that. I mean, I do. I, I actually have two different agents and but one agent um, is one's more of a radio agent. And then I have a voice of uh, a, a voiceover agent. She's sending me auditions that um, are saying between 25 and 40. And those are the jobs that I'm landing, but that's not my age. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So I know it doesn't doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, because that's what you sound like. So, So there's a certain way that millennials speak. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is a certain because that's really the millennial age group, right? It's a, that's like maybe adding three years to the top of it or something. Um, but there's a certain way that millennials speak that's different from the way that people who are over forty speak. And I don't know how to describe it to you exactly, but it has to, it has mostly to do with the diction and the in, inflection of speech. So mm-hmm. if you can figure out what that is in your voice and kind of dumb yourself down to millennial age that that sounds terrible i'm a millennial hello millennials excuse me (laughs) but but you know what i mean like take down take down your all of your experience in the way you speak and bring it down to a millennial age you will book more of those jobs and Honestly, it's like the difference for me between when I do um, a project that's a narration, a documentary narration or a, an e-training versus a commercial where I'm like just trying to be the mom next door. And it's like you're just kind of, you know, it's it's a lot more conversational and less, less buttoned up, I guess, but very just a little bit less. <laughs> Yeah, that's a perfect way <laughs> If to that makes it. sense. Yeah. There's a reason yeah. why it takes three years to break through is that you just have to throw so much shit against the wall to see that's what so sticks, true. right? Yeah. That's, that's, and, that's, you know, that's just the thing that takes the time. It's not necessarily that the world is waiting for you to arrive. It's more that you have to just go out and find those little nooks and crannies to get into and, and exploit, you know, in, in the industry. Marco, where are you on that journey right now? No, I mean, what you just said is really interesting because I've been thinking about that while we've been talking and it's like, I've landed every single opera job that I've auditioned for and I've got some pretty like major clients from like singing, which is hilarious because five years ago I would have been like, I am above that. I would never <laughs> sing for X brand. Now I'm like, where is the brand? Where can I make my next, you know, whatever. So, so I'm, it's weird because I, I want to buck away from that because even when I was coming up in, in opera and in, in high school, I always wanted to be known as the actor, not the singer first, but inevitably because I had that particular set of skills and gift, the opera thing was the music, the singing thing was the natural progression of things. So yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I was, while you guys were talking, I was literally thinking like, does anybody else feel like they're just like throwing it into the void and like nothing, sometimes the black hole throws something back and it's like, Ooh, yeah. And I love that feeling of like euphoria when you book a gig and you're like, oh, wow, you know, this is like 
I'm going to add this to my income for the month. Like <laughs> put it in my budget. But otherwise it's, um, you know, it can be deeply um, traumatic because I don't have genre. I mean, I, I love video game work. I love, you know, I, I've my most consistent client has been an e-learning client, but that again, that was me sending a, a, a video message to an instructional designer who didn't respond. And then six months later, I had a con, I had like an offer in my inbox, but that was pure happenstance. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't, yes, I put forth the effort. And I do believe if you go to my socials, I talk about luck versus luck and, um, what it's too early. What, what's the phrase? Makes preparation um, or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, I forget. It's like luck, luck, and luck so and preparation meets opportunity. Basically, uh, yeah, yeah. It's fine. I missed my moment there to have my, <laughs> like, my, my your philosophical moment. My <laughs> yeah. But but so Corin just know, snuck in there and just it's stole fine. your thunder. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I was trying to help. I was trying to help. No, no, you helped. You helped. But so it's really interesting, just because yeah, there's. You know, you're you're talking about the, what the market thinks of me. I have no freaking clue, man. I'm just like wherever I, I want. Give me that paycheck, and <laughs> and and um and maybe that's not good. But I also don't want to. I think it's too early days, even at the very end of year two, to like be like this is what I do because there's so much to learn about each niche of whether it's radio imaging, e-learning, commercial. You know, there's there's video games. There's so much to learn that. I feel that I get whatever it comes my way, man. I don't know. I wish it, I wish it wasn't that way. And that is a huge frustration. Yeah. It reminds me of something that Christian Lance said on our working pros panel at uh, Vocation, which was uh, you have to follow your dreams. You can't push your dreams down a preconceived path. <laughs> and and the point was like, you'll see where the pat where the next step is and you just take the next step and the next step and the next step and if it looks like you're booking a ton of e-learning work then you kind of walk down that path for a little while and then it might be that you book like a lot of e-learning work and then you get some commercials and you're going down that path and what you really wanted to do was animation this whole time but it doesn't look like the animation gigs are you know on the path ahead of you right at this moment you know you take some coaching and maybe you might see one down the road but Having a dream is great, but being flexible in your dream is is the better way to have a successful career, I think. Ahem. It's true that great talent is usually hidden. Too many believe that their path has been written, but all that you need is the right place to be. If you like voice acting, that's Voice123. So sign up or upgrade, and then please remember, we'll give you a discount as a premium member. VO School listeners, we're offering you $50 off our premium membership tiers. Just visit us at voice123.com slash plans slash VO School. Terms and conditions apply. Voice123, speak for yourself. Erica, what, what would you say to talent that compare themselves to other talent? And when social media is a big exacerbator of this problem, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that is a loaded question. All. But I know, I know, right? How much time do we have? You just can't do it. I don't really know how else to say it. If you need to take social media breaks, then by God, do it. What you can, you can study other talent and see sort of, you know, what how their truth is coming across and, um, you know, see what type of genres they're working in. What are they booking? And, you know, how does that align with maybe the rest of their posts and sort of understand? But you can't compare yourself because 
not to be a little corny, but just as we all have a different fingerprint and different DNA, you know, we are all individuals and in that we all have different voices and different stories that are feeding those voices. And it's it's booking is a matchmaking process, you know, and oh God, the question I hated that I didn't start really paying attention to until maybe the past year when I started booking um, is who are you talking to? You know, and <laughs> I mean, that that really is about. Who am I in this context of who I'm talking to? And that is going to vary from conversation to conversation to conversation. And that's what voiceover is, is we are having conversations. So you have to understand that you cannot compare this other talent in the conversation that they're having in that context to yourself. It's really more of an understanding of yourself, who you are, what your story is, and how that story aligns with the story that you're trying to tell in whatever audition or job that you're doing. So every person, every job, it's all individual. So comparing yourself is really, truly the thief of your joy. Yeah. And everyone's life situation is so unique. You know, you might be looking after an elderly parent or have a a child that's acting up or you have financial issues. This all plays into your day-to-day life and your sense of self in the booth and what you're bringing to the table. Karen, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, we're, we're both very active on social media. And when you get to a certain point, you can just present your highlight reel. I think there's another side of it, too. Or there's another way of looking at it, which is that you can use the success of other talents as inspiration to get to that next level. Like, I did not realize how much people were working And like the people at the top level, I did not realize how much they were working, how much they were booking and how much they were earning until I had this like six figure coaching with Lisa Biggs. And she was telling me about the reality of her business. And she was very open and honest with me. Um, Another I mean, this is like exactly what Marco said uh, about transparency. I think the more open and honest we can all be about what we're actually doing, what we're actually earning, what what is actually working for us. When I had that coaching with Lisa Biggs, I was like, oh, my God, I had no idea that that was possible. And now that I know that's what I want and I am going to go after that thing with like my whole heart and soul and I know that it's possible and I know that I will do it at some point. So that was hugely, hugely inspirational to me. And so I think instead of comparing yourself to people and going, oh, why am I not achieving that? Why, you know, I'm so terrible. Um, You know, they're so great. Instead, look at what they're doing or even contact them and ask like, hey, what are, you know, I'm struggling over here. What are some things that you're doing that, that have worked for you? And you might get a little piece of information that sets you off on your journey in a, in a better way than the day before. So social media is crazy. (laughs) But yeah, it, it all depends on your yeah. outlook, I think. I really like what you said, Karen, because I struggle with that, you know, as sort of the journey woman here in the middle, right, where I've had conversations with my boyfriend about this is that, you know, he's like, share everything. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to, you know, like do too much or be like, just I'm just showing off. But then I am like, you know, I want to let people know that it's it's possible. And that's a, a real struggle, you know, um, with not to be able to inspire and let people know what is possible without coming off as boastful. So, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. And um, for someone like me, that's that's been that's been one of my frustrations. What's the line? I think I think being really honest about our journeys, too, is important. Mm -hmm. Like I started 
I, you know, in voiceover, I was I was in a really bad relationship with someone who really didn't want me to sing. And I don't I don't talk about this a lot, but I'll talk about it on this podcast in front of lots of people. But I was in a bad relationship with someone who did not want me to sing opera because he was also a singer. And that's really why I got into voiceover. It was a way to take back my identity. And uh, he and I separated. I moved into an apartment on my own uh, in New York with literally like $1,000 in my checking account. And I was making babysitting money to make ends meet. I rented out my bedroom on Airbnb so that I could pay the rent. And it was like three years of that where I would make $70 babysitting and run to Trader Joe's and buy all the pasta and frozen chicken and peas that I could so that I would just have food to eat for that week on $70. And like I wore the same pair of contacts for like six months because I couldn't afford to get other contacts. But like that was my reality. I was living on so little money, but my career kept building and building and building and building. And in 2020, we bought a house with just my income. Mm-hmm. I, I was able to buy a house for my family in Southern California. And if that isn't a, a success story, I, I don't know what is, but it took so much effort. It was not easy. So if you're in that struggling phase, know that there is light at the end of the tunnel if you just keep keep going. But it's hard. Do you think that this pervading opinion that admitting your struggles as a voice actor is damaging to your career, do you think that's harmful to people starting out? No. Emphatically, no. Yeah, agree. Not at all. <laughs> because, and you know, I think um, there it's hard when you have agents and casting directors online as well, and they see that you're like, I don't know how to use Source Connect. And then they're like, ooh. But (laughs) if you can get into a relatively safe space in a Facebook group that, you know, is like just of your friends or if you have someone who is like maybe six months further in their career than you are or two a year further in their career than you are, who you can just contact and ask questions of. It is a good thing to be honest in all cases. I completely believe with all my heart that honesty and transparency is the absolute best thing you can be. Um, Honest and transparent is the best thing that you can be. (laughs) Um, And I think that if we all were honest and transparent about the way that we do this business, the whole industry would benefit. Meryl, thank you so much for saying that you're on Fiverr because there are thousands and thousands of talent, voice talents who are on Fiverr who don't want to say that they're on Fiverr. And then Fiverr becomes this like, Let's put a curtain, you know, there and we're all just going to work behind the curtain and no one's going to say anything about it. And then and then you don't have any good information about how to do it ethically. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's a brave thing to say. It makes perfect sense that in an industry that is constantly promoting be your authentic self, perform authentically. And we want the real voice, but hide your actual personality on social media. It seems like a weird (laughs) contradiction. And it gives this false impression of what everyone's career trajectory was, you know, and I can speak for myself too. I would just be constantly bashing my head against the wall. And I had all these privileges, like I moved to New York. I'm an interesting voice in America because just British guy. I was in the right place at the right time. I had agency representation and I was still just badgering my wife. Why aren't I working more? Am I any good at this thing? She was sick of hearing me moan on about it quite rightly, (laughs) but she would give me a kick up the ass and say, just get on with it, you know? So everyone goes through it. 
Do you feel somewhat isolated in, in your frustrations, Marco and Merrill? Marco, why don't you go ahead? Um, I... I don't want to, like, toot my own horn, so... Uh, go for it. I... Okay. I Like I said in the beginning, <laughs> um, I, I really strive... I had an agent again, this high power agent when I was an opera singer that when I, my first meeting with them, they were like, well, we need to rebrand. Like you, you know, you need to like change the way you post and change the way you present yourself. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, that's not something I'll ever do. And so when I, when I started in voiceover, like I had a period from March to June, I booked like one gig in, in that five month period. And I was, I was also very, I wasn't feeling well physically. And so I, I had a lot of anxiety and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I have OCD, like I was diagnosed in March and like I am a huge advocate of mental health and like talking about those things. So like that adds a certain layer of I want to be open and present, but I also feel that people don't necessarily do that. So there, I feel sometimes that I am, an, even though people act like I'm so brave for posting whatever on social media, like it's not that brave. It's just something that it's who I am and it's what I want to do. And, you know, but but I, I do get frustrated that I feel like like an island where I'm talking about my mental health. I'm talking about, you know, the, the difficulty of not booking for four months, uh, you know, and someone commented on an Instagram post yesterday that they were like, you know, usually people start, you know, start from the outside in and you're going from the out inside out. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's, you know, and I also hate when people are like, well, that's your brand. It's not my brand. That's <laughs> who I am. I don't believe personal brand, whatever. But like, so yeah, I, I do get frustrated, uh, long story short, to it's hard. And I do think it's a mindset thing where it's like, I don't make six figures, but in my mind I do. That means that I need to continue to like have that momentum so that I can feel like, yes, eventually um, I will be able to get there with, with a mindset shift. But yeah, it's, it's, did that make any sense? I don't know. I was just talking yeah. there. I don't know what yeah. happened. Absolutely. <laughs> Professional speaker. Very conversational. Very conversational. Tell your agents. Tell your agents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meryl, you were nodding your head there along with Marco. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Oh, social media. <laughs> it's, it, I do try to be as authentic as possible on social media which is why I actually, you know, responded to your, you know, initial post in, in the group. And then sometimes I regret it. I guess more times than not, I do regret it. And sometimes I delete and, you know, whatever. But what I find really hard about this industry is that if you've ever known radio people, we are like this crazy social bunch of people and to be working alone every day, you know, Marco oh talks about like your mental health. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not used to that and not used to not having somebody to like bounce, you know, what you're saying off someone. Mm. And those things to me are, are really hard. And then I almost don't even want to read, you know, be this type of person that you're never going to become. And yes, you do have to know who you're talking to. But you have to know who you are. And I think that's a place that I struggle a little bit. And, you know, you had brought up a couple of times about, you know, like beating the radio announcer. Out. I mean, that's pretty visual. And obviously, you know, Chad only meant that, you know, uh, figuratively. But I am kind of that radio person. And, yeah. you know, you're not going to get, you know, I can get really close to the microphone and do that and stuff like that. But sure. But to me, that's the fake, even though that's what they might want. And I'm a very loud, not soft-spoken person in 
all aspects of my life. So, you know, Karin, you're talking about, you know, trying to not enunciate and, you know, be the millennial and whatever. I don't know. I, I find the whole thing a little disturbing on a bunch of different levels. And the other thing about, I have a son who's a millennial, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm aging myself now, but I have a son who's a millennial. He has no freaking money. You know who has money? Are people that are my age, okay? It's so why true. aren't you talking to me? I have to, I mean, oh my God. Like, it's somebody true. in their 40s, you know, God bless that you bought a home and stuff. I bought my son's home because yeah. I have the money to do that, all right? Like, why aren't and, you talking to me? I'm not yep. dead yet, okay? I'm not to quote, you know. There's your tagline. <laughs> I'm not, oh my God. Put that on I, board, I, right? I, Jamie, I'm going to use that. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I, absolutely. And anybody who doesn't get it, they shouldn't be listening to me anyway. But, um, <sighs> I'm so confused about that whole thing. Like why, you know, if you're selling a Lexus, nobody that's 28 to 40, I would say 90% of those people could not afford. They're going to go out and try to pay cash for a $10,000 Honda. It's like, I don't know. I think the whole thing's a little messed up. Right. I mean, (laughs) so here's here's the thing that I, (laughs) I, I'm in a lot of mom groups with people who are my age And uh, like three years ago, I asked because all these people were like talking about how they're buying houses and stuff. And I asked in one of the mom groups, like, can we just be real here? And can you tell me, like, how did you buy a house? (laughs) And and there were so many different answers. One of the one of the people was like, oh, you know, we had a VA loan. Um, The other person was like, oh, my parents gave us like one hundred thousand dollars. And uh, and then another person was like, oh, my husband and I, we saved and saved and saved for five years. And then finally, after five years, we were able to buy our house and we put $15,000 down on a $250,000 house. And I'm like, I live in New York City and Southern California. $250,000 can buy me a playhouse for my kid. (laughs) Like, (laughs) those are not real house prices. Where do you live? Oh, rural Minnesota. Okay. Mm. You know, but like everyone's situation is so different but you're right millennials we all have student loan debt and uh but we also have kids and we got to buy things for those kids crazy millennials and i think meryl (laughs) you know leaning into who you are is is a really good business move for you you know there is a lot of work for ladies of a certain age in this industry you know a ton of farmer work for a start Mm. pretty much every farmer gig is going to be completely appropriate for you and there's a bunch of others that I can't think off the top of my head. But the point that you said about ignoring the specs a little bit is is important because I think I posted this in the group recently. If you're constantly trying to fulfill the specs on every audition that you do, when are you being yourself? When are you bringing something unique to the table? Because if you've ever listened to the podcast where we cast people, it's clear when someone is being themselves, reading the copy from their perspective versus someone who's just trying to fulfill the brief. And, you know, taking the specs and I think the skill is taking the specs and figuring out what from those specs applies to you as a person and means something to you and disregarding the things that don't. And if the majority of the things don't apply to you, well, see you later, I'm not interested. Because then best case scenario, you're going to book one out of 10, one out of 20 gigs anyway. So 
if you're not right for the role, you're not right for the role. But you then can almost guarantee yourself booking the role when the right role comes along because you are being yourself. I think it's safer in the long run, it's just my opinion, to try and emphasize your own personality and your experience and your life and your perspective. Ultimately, out of those thousand gigs, you probably would have booked more if you'd just been yourself a thousand times over. That's my thought on yeah. it anyway. Because I, I mean, agree. like Meryl, you know, you talk about your age, but I mean, I can see and feel like you have a youthful essence to quote Walsh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, look at your hair. Or like, I mean, so you have this combination of having the wisdom of having been through that journey, but you still have this youthful energy. And I think the market is telling you that if you're getting things that are booking for looking for a younger age bracket, but you still have that that energy about you. And, you know, Marco, you're hilarious on TikTok and LinkedIn and let you so, you know, like being able to be transparent and open. You bring that to your reads and and mm-hmm. making sure, like Karen said, just being being selective in what you're really auditioning for so you're not wasting time. And that's when I found like when I, the matchmaking, when I started being knowing myself, picking the copy that really resonated with me that I could connect to and, you know, then seeing if, if they felt the same connection. And that's when it started to kind of work out like you guys got it. I'm actually curious about that. You know, I, th- I think there's, you know, because we're talking about the read, right? And like being present and being um, yourself when you're reading, but like, are you are you all also sticking to like, you know, you won't necessarily read for a car commercial the same way you will for a grocery store. Like, are are you all are you all like staying? I mean, I, I'm that's one of the biggest things I've been learning in the last few months with with coaching, and is that you know every every style has is a type of song, and then you interpret the song as you see fit. But so, are you all sticking to the style of the song, and then and then being yourselves? Um. I watch a lot of commercials and I try to consume as much uh, voiceover media as I possibly can so that I have in my head what the normal sound of a thing is. And then I look at what I usually do is I skim the copy. I read the specs a little bit more thoroughly than I skim the copy. And then I just decide in my mind, this is this kind of commercial. I can see the visuals for it. I understand what music is going to go underneath it just from imagining. And then I just do it that way. And if it's wrong, then I made a choice and whatever, I'll move on to the next audition. But but that's typically what I do. I have in my head what I think the finished product will be. Mm-hmm. And I bring myself to that finished product in the best way that I can. That's what I do. And I mean, also, like, we're different people in different contexts, right? Like, you still have your your baseline, but you're going to talk to your son differently than you talk to your partner, than you talk to a stranger in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So, like, applying different contexts and, and you know, when you code switch and, and go to different who you are in different contexts, that's how I see different pieces of copy and bringing those different pieces of myself to those scenarios. Yeah, it's oh. the difference between trying to sound like in a car commercial example, like exhilarating, blah, 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 all these adjectives that they will use. It's you when you're exhilarated. It's you when you're experiencing an emotion at a a certain time. And you can recall some moment in your past where you were like that, rather than you trying to fulfill a sound that they're looking for. Yeah. Before COVID, I had a lot of like, hi, I'm Karen and this is my commercial. And like, I'm the brand voice of this. Like that, that was my base sound. But then when COVID hit, I I really, really, all the commercials changed, right? They needed new things for everything. And I booked a ton of uh, COVID 
related commercials. I think during the first like six months of the pandemic, I had like 19 different ads running at the same time. And that's because it was such an emotional time. And I found that I could really get rid of that happy, peppy sound and tap into exactly what I was feeling in in that moment. And so many of the commercials like made me almost like lose it because yeah. it was such an emotional time for all of us. And like pushing that feeling aside to to deliver the commercial in the way that you think that it should in these unprecedented times was not working. Tapping into the emotion that I was actually feeling at the time and letting myself almost lose it every time I read that copy and really being authentic was the thing I think that that people gravitated towards and why those commercials ended up working and they were why they were so different from the other stuff that I had done, but they were still very authentic to me. Absolutely. And so if you do that, you could probably book 19 commercials at the same time as well. Just perfect. <laughs> That's never happened since. <laughs> Just, it was also like, you know, opportunity meets preparation or whatever, yeah. where I had a home studio yeah. when a lot of people didn't. So that was part of it, too. Um, it was just, you know, the opportunity and I was ready to go when that happened. But yes, that's never happened since. Maybe it'll happen someday in the future. Fingers crossed for another pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even say it, Jay. Don't even say it. You know, I I also wanted to circle back really quick about something uh, that was brought up in that in that I think one of the most, it's, it's totally off tangential, but uh, tangential, whatever, is uh, the loneliness that you know, that is very frustrating, actually, is that, you know, the specs ask you, the specs ask you to, sorry, Uh, hello, hello, okay, the specs, (laughs) I'm keeping that in, by the way, more conversational, more conversational, (laughs) please, take out the opera, (laughs) Um, the specs ask you to be funny, energetic, bright, but I mean, I sit in a fort, and um, I have this, this lamp here, that's, you know, I have some natural light, but in general, you know, it's, it's, I find what's really difficult is that is is to get out and and see people and have friends and thankfully the voiceover community I I view many many people in the voiceover community as my friends and people I would love to spend time with but um I don't see them and and unless we go to you know the vocation conference 2022 um, <laughs> or or whatever you know so was or whatever whatever you know one voice like it's it's um how dare you di- mention that sorry 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 <laughs> cut it out um, cut it cut it. <laughs> It's, that's funny. It's that's really hard to coming up, guys. That's right. It's hard to really put yourself out there and 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 meet and meet people and and be present with people and and I think that that's actually a huge frustration for me and it, and actually it's a source as an introverted extrovert I find it really difficult because I get my my joy from others and um, everything we do is over the computer and and that's a huge change from from the opera world where you were meeting new colleagues constantly and becoming friends and and leaning on each other and now it's a different kind of lean and it's it's certainly I would honestly say that 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 was one of the things I really did not fully understand and I'm not even in the booth as much as I would like to be but just the sheer loneliness even though you can text your friends or whatever to to be alone all the time it is uh I can I find it very emotionally taxing. I think yeah. and maybe Jamie and Erica can will agree or disagree with this, but I think that that isolation and lon- loneliness gets a little bit better once you start doing more directed sessions, like oh. live directed sessions because yeah. you're on the phone with people collaborating with people to get a project done. If you're working by yourself all the time, 
maybe if you're an audiobook narrator or something that would happen almost 100% of the time. But for me, at least when I do more directed sessions, I feel like I'm a part of a team, part of a group rather than just on my own. And that's been nice. (laughs) And the experience of the last 18 months is not really reflective of how it usually is either. You know, um, there are a lot of conferences and meetups and workshops and casting directors touring around and doing stuff. So even if you're in sort of outer reaches of, you know, this country, there are usually things that you can go to and attend. It's not like opera, I guess, where you're seeing people every single day. Well, I mean, I've only been in a studio twice in in two years. Three times, excuse me. Hey, but I think the same too. for me actually. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? Like three same. exactly three times. Yeah. Oh wow. Well I mean that's I mean and that is the beauty of having a home studio and being able to do it from home, literally do it from home in your pajamas, you know. That's the dream, right? Oh, hopefully you're wearing pants. Oh, yeah. Hopefully you're wearing pants. But, you know, uh, you don't have to. Uh, but, but that is true that um, just cut this out. Just just cut it. Just cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Point is. Yeah, I'm wearing no, my pajamas right. right now. Perfect. <laughs> I, it is. But slippers. <laughs> oh, yes. It is 6.30 a.m. or now yeah. 7.30 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't like know the point of that one. Yeah. I know. The sun's come up. The sun's come the sun up. The sun is no, it's, out. It's so bright. It's brighter there than it is here. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one thing to remember, too, because we always talk about the creative portion, you know, but as entrepreneurs, this can be a lonely journey in general. And one of mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the biggest things that I have had to learn and I'm still kind of honing the craft of is self-care. So not, you know, of course, interacting with people when you can only control that, but so much, but really learning yourself to know what you need to maintain yourself, you know, getting active and and working out to get those chemicals flowing that literally will make you feel better. Um, You know, taking vitamins, drinking tons of water, eating right, doing all those things. And sometimes, you know, maybe walking away from the booth. And it's also Mm -hmm. study to, you know, watch your favorite show. And you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is that brings you joy, you have got to hone in on that. And I have my mantra now is that rest is part of the work. Um, Mm -hmm. because you cannot bring your best self to the booth if you are not your best self. You know, you bring up a really interesting point, Erica, and like, you know, I think there, there is a a sect of voiceover that talks about the grind and the hustle and like doing that thing. And it's like, I think we glamorize this 24 hours a day, grinding it out, finding opportunities, doing whatever. And I, you know, I'm curious, like, what are your sort of typical hours? You know, me, I, I have a cutoff by, by six. If I don't have like auditions or a session or something, I don't, I'm done. Like I, I, I step away. Cause I, you know, I try to work from, from eight to six, basically. It varies. Um, I, you know, and I have a family too. I have two sons and my boyfriend and a house to run and dogs. And um, I'm also, to be transparent, I do still work a corporate job as well. No, a lot of people don't know that. Um, So this has been a a super grind for me. Um, Sometimes I'm voicing my first thing, especially if they want the Viola Davis read. Sometimes it's at 6.30 a.m. Like, it works out. Like, (laughs) you know, the car knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, And I mean, I've gone as late as if I'm still up and maybe I can sneak away before my boyfriend gets mad at me. Like, I might do one at 10 p.m. It it kind of depends. I do try to set some boundaries and, you know, say, okay, I'm going to walk away. But I don't really do the 3 a.m. thing very often unless I just can't sleep. Um, I do try to try to honor the rest time. But, yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place. I'm kind of all over the place, too. I mean, um, I teach a, um, an art class on Thursday nights because I part of my self-care is the other things that I'm interested in. Yeah. And I appreciate like all your comments. I mean, I am a super active person. Um, I'm a black diamond skier. I'm a bike rider. Yeah. I mean, I'm um, 
a crazy skier. So if you notice, though, I mean, I know this is a podcast, but I have this like brace on my arm. So seven weeks ago, I fractured my wrist. So, yeah, I know. And that's been like a whole other thing. But um, I do believe in in the activeness and I have a little dog and, you know, we go for walks every day. But I think that that's also important. But I got home. I'm a potter. I teach pottery Mm. every Thursday night. I've been doing it for over 20 years, I guess. And I got an email from my agent that there was an audition due by one o'clock today. And it was a $2,000 job. And so I turned my computer on and I auditioned for that job. And I, so I don't tend to do that, you know, eight to eight to six thing. I feel that I need to grab the opportunity when it presents itself and um, and I was kind of thinking that, you know, oh, coming home from something that I really enjoy, I've got a lot of good energy going on inside of myself. I didn't feel that, oh, my God, it's 11 o'clock at night. But, yeah, I, I kind of do it on the weekends. I mean, if I see an audition come over, I'm going to do everything I can to meet that deadline to uh, submit it. I used to work constantly, constantly when I was first starting out, just like in the booth all the time. Like 18 hour days, sometimes not really. I mean, maybe when I was narrating an audiobook, I would be in there for just hours and hours and hours and hours. And it has taken a lot of time. And also, um, now that I'm in a different place in my career, I can pretty much take weekends off, which is great. And that's something that is good for my brain and good for my family. Sunday night, I typically do all of my auditions that are due Monday morning. But Saturdays, I, I don't even look at my email most of the time. And I know that if anyone needs me, they my phone number's on my email signature. They can call me if it's an emergency. But I typically work in like three chunks in the day. I do early morning, and then I usually go for a run. I've been running four miles a day, which is really fun. Oh, nice. um, uh, and then I uh, pick up my kids from school. I do an afternoon chunk. I take them to dance, I make dinner, they go to bed at eight, and then I do a nighttime chunk of work, getting everything done for the day that needs to be done, finishing up all my auditions, and I go to bed at about 11. So I go to bed at 11, I wake up at six, typically, six or seven. Yeah, about the same. That's And then yeah. I take Saturdays completely off and Sundays mostly off. Well, it's certainly interesting because, I mean, you know, I do so much direct marketing that honestly, like, I I don't want to send people LinkedIn messages asking if they want to get coffee with me at eight o'clock, you know? So, like, I tend to shift my hours based on, like, who I'm marketing to. But if auditions come in, for sure, I'm I'm in the booth and stuff because, I mean, that's important. And auditions, I think, are... I was actually thinking about this. Like, it feels like the ideal, like... And obviously, this is different for everybody. But in my ideal world, it would be 70% auditions, 20% uh, direct marketing, and... 10% 10% referral, you know, that would be the ideal, like, sort of, like, pocket for, for opportunities. Yeah, I think when you have, are working with different time zones as well, that plays into it a little bit, especially oh, yeah. if you're on the East Coast, you have, like, a an LA rush, an East Coast rush, and mm-hmm. for me, I do a lot of work in Europe as well, so you have to be a bit aware of that, so that's, that's, that's fun. <laughs> um, well, we have been talking for a long time, and you find people have got things to do, so I really appreciate you spending your time with us today. Marco and Merrill, especially thank you for being so honest about your your experience that you're living through. And um, I really appreciate it. So, Marco, a little bit of publicity here. Where do people find you to to book you? Yeah, uh, my website, MarcoCamVO.com, or you can find me on any social media platform, LinkedIn, MarcoCamVO or Marco Camarota. And uh, Instagram is where I'm most active, and that's MarcoCamVO. All right. Merrill. 
Um, my website is MerylCGoldsmith.com, and um, all of my contact information is on there. Um, I think if they wanted to reach out to me on social media, LinkedIn would probably be the best place. I kind of keep my Facebook for, you know, my family and stuff like that. I don't do a lot of work on my Facebook, Instagram a little bit, but I think LinkedIn would be the best place to to reach me. But all my contact information, um, my email, my phone number is on my website, which is MerylCGoldsmith.com. Great. And Erica and Karen, thank you so much also for joining us and bringing your many years of experience to the pod. Um, Erica, how do people find you? Yeah, I am at EricaJ.com. That's E-R-I-K-K-A-J, two Ks. And on all the socials, I'm Miss Erica J. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Oh, my pleasure. Karen. I'm very bad at social media. My website is KarenGelfry.com. But if you want to really engage with me and Jamie and the wider voiceover community, I would highly suggest joining the Vocation Voiceover Facebook group and or the VO School Podcast Facebook group. That is the best place to find out uh, all kinds of great, wonderful info um, about all things voiceover. And I interact but a not lot in there. one voice. Not one voice. No, no. no one voice is, let, let's be clear, one voice is a fantastic conference. <laughs> yes, yes. And we love it. We're just joking. We're playing. We're I playing. have to throw out there that, Jamie, this podcast was the one that kind of made the transition for me. I binged on like 50 some episodes and learned about all the wonderful people in this industry. So this is really a full circle moment for me. And I really appreciate all that yeah. you guys do with vocation and the podcast. It is invaluable. And I send everybody here that wants to learn about voiceover. Oh, thanks for saying that. Thank yeah. you so much. I mean, such a pleasure meeting all of you from, you know, every corner of uh, our beautiful country. And, um, you know, thank you, Karn, for getting up at the crack of dawn and, you know, <laughs> yes. allowing this oh, to happen. I was up already. <laughs> and you can stick with that my, story, right? It's true. No, it's I true. Know. My little daughter was like, wanted to eat a banana and watch YouTube. So. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. Thank thanks, you, Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jamie. Jamie. The VO School podcast was produced by Heather Lynn Watt, Joan Gavino, Lisa Leonard, Gina Scarper, Femi London, Tiffany Van Landingham, Diane Richmond-Knox, Zach Allerman, and myself, Jamie Muffet. Special thanks to Patreon super member Angus McLeod and our sponsors, JMC Demos, Voice123, and Backstage. We'll see you next time. <laughs>